if you are a cisgendered white male um, and you are a rabbi, you can get away with not sharing a lot of personal information. I don't have the luxury of not sharing about myself because people assume a level of entitlement to learning about me. And so what I've decided to do was to craft that narrative, to have control over that narrative. From the recording studios of Reconstructing Judaism, this is Trending Jewish, the Jewish podcast about everything. With me, Brian Schwartzman, and... Rachel Burgess. Well, I look at the numbers, so I've seen we have just had our 10,000th download, so that is that Yay. is pretty cool. And I believe we've been on the air about about a year. Uh, yes, we. I just saw on Facebook we just had our one year anniversary. Our birthday just came up. The birth of our podcast that was very exciting to see. So, <laughs> so if you like what you're listening to and you want to keep listening to it, um, if you haven't subscribed yet you can subscribe on itunes google play overcast castro um wherever you can get podcasts we are very likely there and also rate us and let people know how you love our show and that would be helpful to attract other listeners like you and major gifts officer, do you wanna do you wanna make a pitch? <laughs> yeah. Or? So if you like the work that we're doing here at Reconstructing Judaism, you like our podcast, um, please support the work that we do. You can do that by going to reconstructingjudaism.org/support. So we have an amazing interview today. We're gonna be talking with. Rabbi Sandra Lawson, who at the time we recorded the interview, she was just a few weeks away from becoming a rabbi. So um, so that's why we wanted to put the disclaimer in at the beginning. But I have to say that this woman is probably one of the most amazing people I have ever met. And I hope when I grow up someday, I'm just an ounce like Sandra Lawson. Yeah, I do miss having having Rabbi Sandra around the building. And there was a time where... Uh, I lived a, a block from her, so miss miss having uh, Sandra and, and her partner Susan as as a neighbor. Um, it's funny. I listened. I I don't want to get. Ser- it's too early in the podcast episode to get serious, but I had a <laughs> I had a thought at least seemed serious to me in my head, which was I don't know about you. I went into this episode thinking we were going to discuss Judaism and technology because that was that was our focus. It's kind of been one of our ongoing themes and kind of thought, well, I know Rabbi Sandra is very eloquent about speaking about issues of Judaism and race and, and, and identity. And I'm like, okay, that we'll save that for another podcast because this is the technology episode. And it's almost like I'm not, I'm not one of these folks who, you know, uses the term white privilege all that often, but it kind of dawned on me like, oh yes, I can, I can just turn that off and say, we're not, we're not going to talk about race. It's going to be something totally separate. But I think it was a surprise to, a surprise to me to see how much Rabbi Sandra's approach to technology 
was was related to issues of race and 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 how how she's perceived and been reacted to in the Jewish community. So it was a little bit of a light bulb moment for me and what I hope is isn't the last because nobody wants to nobody wants to feel I'm I'm forty two now and, and stuck in life, you know, in you know, with the same attitude. So I don't know. That's that's me. I'm off my soapbox now. So well, it's actually funny because there was another part of that interview that I think about actually quite a bit because we're going to be going into um, why she got so interested in technology, why she became a musician. And basically the way that she approaches her life in general is she doesn't see challenges. I mean, she sees challenges, but she doesn't see them as um impossible roadblocks she doesn't see them as blocking her way she uses these tools around her in order to um, make a difference and do great things and get her voice out there in a very impactful meaningful way and that's really an inspiration to not just say okay this is this is really hard I'm just going to give up and instead saying, wait a minute, how am I going to find a solution that's going to work to help me do what I need to do? And so I think about I think about this interview quite a bit as well. And there's so much of her life we didn't talk about. We didn't get into the military and her time as a U.S. military police in South Korea. Um, maybe <laughs> that will be another podcast episode. But I'm about we- to introduce our guest who is actually not here in the studio, but through the magic of illusion and audio technology in about 30 seconds, you'll think she's here because... <laughs> it's also magic. We, we're also in a rabbinical school and in an institution of uh, faith. Yes. So as I, <laughs> as I said, uh, Rabbi Sandra Lawson graduated from the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College this past June, and we already miss her. Rabbi Sandra is the Associate Chaplain for Jewish Life and, and the Hillel Jewish Educator at, at Elon University in North Carolina. She is a thoughtful pioneer of using social media to teach Torah and was once named uh, by JTA as one of the 10 Jews you, sh- you should follow on Snapchat. She's also been called the Snapchat Rabbi, and she describes herself as a sociologist, personal trainer, weightlifter, vegan, writer, public speaker, and musician. So, welcome, Rabbi Sandra, to our uh, mm-hmm. to Trending Jewish. It's a it's a thrill to to have you. You you actually have the got the moniker the the Snapchat Rabbi. I yes, don't know if you yes. asked for that or not, but you you're on you're on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. You're you're on. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, how did how did you get into this? How did you decide this is this is a space that you know that's there's a vacuum in, and I want to fill it because I know it's been you know it's been a process of at least a couple of years of, of mm-hmm. experimenting, exploring. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, and you know, other people have different stories, but for me, this um, using social media. Um, to teach Torah, using social media to show the world that I'm a rabbi, um, came out of fear and necessity. Um, I My first year at RRC, I went on a couple of job interviews, and 
instead of being asked about my skills or what I could offer the community or typical questions that you go on an interview, I was constantly asked about my either about my race or how I was Jewish or when I converted. And I actually went on one interview where I was never asked any questions about skills at all because the people, the person just couldn't get past the fact that I was a rabbinical student, I was Jewish or whatever her particular hangup was. And um, in this particular community, I had... Um, I had assumed that I wasn't going to get the job because she didn't really interview me, but I was, I still needed to perform. I still needed to do the service and go through the process. So I was like, I'm just going to teach, I'm going to tell the community my story of how I arrived. <laughs> and um, once I did that, um, when I was leading the service and I gave my devar, people were much more open to me and um, then we could, then we were able to have a conversation about skills because I sort of laid it out there. And I learned right away that I didn't want to be a rabbi who graduates from rabbinical school and still having to explain and ask, how are you, or be, answer the question, how are you a rabbi? Um, when did you convert? Or whatever the inappropriate questions were. I wanted to um, show people. So I spent the, the next five years um, creating an online presence. So when people Googled me, they could see that I was a rabbinical student. They could learn about me. I put my bio up for people to see. And um, as I started doing that, I got more comfortable in the medium. And, um, you know, as different apps started coming along, I would try them. Some of them were crap. <laughs> um, some of them were fun, like Snapchat. And I watched other people on Snapchat and um you know, I was like, what can I do on this platform? And I just decided to teach Torah. <laughs> and that turned into a story, you know, and I was just having fun. And yeah. It's interesting also because in your social media presence, you're also not just you're not just Rabbi Sandra. Yeah. You're also you're also this really, really fun, interesting person. Like I remember one summer you were doing, you know, okay, I'm doing a mile for oh, a day right, yeah. and you would sing to music <laughs> and or mouth some some music yeah, and dance to that. And then you would give and then a couple days later you would give this great piece of yeah, Torah. Yeah. How do you um Instead of just putting your skill sets out there, why do you put so much? I mean, I'm glad that you put so much mm -hmm. of your personality because it's fun and engaging and exciting and I love it. Um, but I think there's also this bit of being a rabbi where you have to separate your personal mm -hmm. emotional self from your work yeah. because you can easily get drained from it. So how do you create that separate? How do you decide how much of yourself you put into your work? Yeah, yeah. Um... The interesting thing about social media is I think people forget when they use the platforms that the operative word is social. And so um, a social media is about getting people to follow you, get, getting people interested in you and sharing parts of your journey. And so I remember that um, I was doing that uh, challenge with my with my wife. Um, and I'm not a big runner. And I figured, you know, running a mile a day, you know, and would be fun. And so, like, I started posting things like that to sort of hold me accountable. Um, that, like, if I'm telling people that I have to run a mile a day, then I have to run a mile a day. And people did like that. And people sort of started following me. And um, I um, I don't share everything. I have, a, you know, there's things that I keep personal. But, you know, I, I try to share, you know, some of my days so that people um, – you know, who want to see that can see it. So like usually, you know, if Susan and I are going to the gym, people can see some craziness of our workout or whatever. Um, 
And and that's kind of where social media is right now when it comes to Facebook and Instagram and that people want to see what people are doing throughout the day. And um, when I've talked with other rabbis um, that, who just want to put content out there, like put their Torah and, and they don't understand why no one's engaging with them. I'm like, because you need to show some of the personal. You need to show like the process of creating your podcast or the process of writing your devar or, you know, a photo of yourself or something like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, um, the early morning gym posts <laughs> and, and videos. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, so you're being modest, not, not much of a runner, but you're, I don't know, squatting yes. <laughs> 500 pounds. I don't yeah, know that's easier for me than running. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was interesting. I, I was, I was here um, where, where at an event where you talked about your um, your one minute Torah podcast, mm-hmm. and there was there was almost um, definitely curiosity from the part of on the part of the faculty here. Like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't train you to do it like this. Right. We didn't train you to teach Torah like this. How did you how did you learn it? And mm-hmm. and I guess I'm I'm wondering is it do you really approach um, you know, interpreting a Jewish text differently, you know, in, you know, in an online form than you would talking in a, you know, in a room or, or, or at, uh, you know, in a synagogue or at a cafe where you've, where you've led services or, or is it, is it just, is it more similar than, than, than your teachers realize? Yeah. So for, for me, um, and Elsie, our Dean asked about this, um, I created the podcast after uh, Trump was elected, and um, I realized that I had a lot of audio and video from my Snapchat stuff and my Instagram stuff. And initially, I sort of took that some of that audio and edited it into like the first podcast episode. Um, and I also was sort of reading and seeing a lot of tweets and Facebook messages that were just people weren't happy um, and and uh, a lot of people were angry um, and I didn't want to contribute. That was also my own sort of like sort of kind of pain around like how did we get uh, where we are and um, I didn't want to contribute to that. I didn't want to be a part of that hostility. I wasn't happy that that Trump was elected either but I wanted to put more positivity into the on- online space. And so that first year of that podcast sort of came out of the fact, one, I believe most Jewish podcasts by rabbis are just too long. <laughs> that it's just, uh, you know, regurgitating whatever they did and, and their devar and it's long and it doesn't, I don't think it's appealing. Some of them are. Um, and I'm talking about the podcast where it's just the rabbi talking, not like interactive podcast. Um, and so I didn't want to. I didn't want to contribute to that. And I also realized that if I didn't sit there and say in Leviticus, you know, twenty whatever, or uh, Torah portion anymore or whatever, like all of that stuff, all that textual stuff, could be in the side notes. And once I got rid of that, I could actually, in a minute, t- give some teaching um, that uh, you know showed gratitude. Or gave some people, uh, um, Erica, Rabbi Erica, Erica uh, Steelman said, you know, it was like a little pearl of wisdom, you know, in a minute. So it was just enough, um, you know, to to sort of put positive energy into the world. I've actually since changed the format of my podcast, um, but that's where that sort of minute came from. 
And I guess just back to my original mm-hmm. question, do you think that that took a totally different skill set or approach or was it just adapting what you learned to a new, you know, to a new format? I think both. I mean, I got, I, I actually have to realize, I, I, I got the idea from Rabbi Stephen Carrubin, um, who does something similar. Um, and I was like, oh, I can teach Torah in a minute. Like, that's totally possible. Um, but I do. I think it's sort of creating a different way to teach, creating a different way to teach Torah. Um, you know, you spend all this time in school and you're, you know, you're taught to, you know, your, your sermon should be you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or whatever, um, depending on the setting. And, and nobody says, how do you condense that down into a minute? Um, and you just, you and you do it by taking a small chunk of it and creating a little teaching. And um, you save the rest for another day or you put it in the side notes or something. I'm just, it feels so, so related to me. So I'm going to mm-hmm. follow up. Um, granted, when, when somebody goes to service, we have, mm-hmm. we have we have no way of knowing how much they were they were impacted, whether it really hit mm-hmm. them, whether they're going to go out and behave differently. But um, there seems to be a you know a, a a question out there of how do you gauge the impact of you know online Jewish content? I mean, I, my I guess my two two part question is is that you know is that fair? Is is there you know is there sort of a bias against the online you know the online sphere, and and is there a way you you have been able to to gauge the impact you've had on your listeners, viewers? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting is that what social media provides you is like instant access to whoever you want to connect with. So if people like what they see or are touched by what they they hear or whatever, they can immediately contact me. Um. You know through you know, the messaging part of Snapchat, Instagram, or Facebook, um, or just comment. And I have, you know, I'm, I, this, I remember this one woman, I don't know her name, but she sent a photo of her herself and her daughter to me. And it said, like, we don't make it to shul all the time, but my daughter and I sit and listen to your Snapchat stories. And I was just like, wow, you know, like, that's that's you know that's pretty amazing and it felt really personal and I was really touched by it and um, and also she was also saying in that same thing that like this is another way for me to connect with my Jewish identity and another way for me to teach my daughter about Judaism and and it doesn't necessarily have to be us going to a shul all the time um, and I've had you know other people I have a lot of people who follow me who aren't Jewish who are just sort of curious I had a woman tell me actually we've become friends online i've never met her in person and she's coming to my graduation oh wow um and uh she found me on snapchat and um we've since have followed each other on instagram and other <laughs> platforms but she said that her sister or sister somebody in her life close to her converted to judaism and she never understood why until she started listening to me like it made sense. Like she still may not understand why her sister converted, but like I'm giving her access to something that was imp- is important to her sister, and now it makes more sense to her. I'm curious also because we've. I mean, we're talking to people about the trends in the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. So we know that people aren't coming to shul, that memberships are dropping in synagogues, and 
you are at this cutting edge of technology mm -hmm. where nobody was really doing what you were doing and sharing Torah mm -hmm. in your way. And from the things that you're seeing and from these different organizations and these different startup communities that are happening, what do you feel like is the future of the rabbi? What is right. the rabbi now as opposed to what the rabbi was even mm -hmm. 10, 20 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think what's what's interesting is is I personally think this is an exciting time to be Jewish and it's an exciting time to be a rabbi. What makes me sad is that there are many in the Jewish community that are, are, are fearful. There are many rabbis who are fearful because um, they don't know or don't recognize the, the, the Judaism that's coming out. So Rabbi B'nai Lappi says that the Judaism that exists now um, and she said this in a Torah po in a podcast with Judaism Unbound will probably be completely unrecognizable, you know, to the Judaism that her parents or grandparents ex exist uh, had. Um, I sort of feel like the time period that we're in right now is probably close to the time period, or the close to the change that happened after the Second Temple was destroyed. Um, and you know, those rabbis were. Radical, <laughs> entrepreneurial, um, and I know there are stories that we tell about them uh, that may not co coincide with actual history. Um, but Judaism could have died, um, and it reinvented itself. And we're in the the stage right now that the rabbis who are more forward thinking, the communities are, that are more forward thinking that are trying to attack the issues that are happening in their community in a forward thinking instead of, and what, I'm, what I mean by, for example, you know, um, the solution to finances, how do we get more members in? Or how do we get, we raise dues or whatever. And so that it was one way of thinking about it. There are now other models of how do we raise more money. Um, and so communities that are trying to, or that are more transparent about that process and thinking more outside the box are succeeding. Um, and the ones that are continuing to try things that don't work um, or um, can, are, are, are continuing to do things because they do work, but they're not working as effectively are really in a, having a hard time right now. So I guess I'm not sure how to ask this. You could zap me if I uh, if I ask it the wrong way. But um, based on your your forward thinking mindset and sort of just based on on who you are when 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 somebody meets you, bl mm -hmm. black queer, um, do you feel better positioned to kind of encounter Jews on on, on sort of these outer edges? Mm -hmm. you, you know, and is it more challenging to approach traditional settings? Uh, yes, yes, and no, and whatever. <laughs> um, I, th I think because I think I'm uniquely situated. So I didn't grow up Jewish. So I didn't grow up any of the baggage. I also that that's also kind of sad because of a lot of things that I just did, don't inherently un understand. So sort of growing up on the outside and coming in as an adult, I I often see things um, in Jewish communities that other people may not see. Um, until I started rabbinical school, I did see myself on the margins of Jewish life. Like I'm someone who sits on the outside. 
Now I'm a rabbi. It's kind of hard to say <laughs> that I'm on the outside, but I still am because people, when they see me, they see my blackness before they see me, and they often see my blackness before they recognize or even understand or care that I'm that I'm Jewish. And even after I've you know, expressed Jewish identity, people still forget because they have their ideas about what a Jew is supposed to look like. Um, and then the rabbi thing, that's just like, you know, if you Google rabbi, you will, you have to go down like five <laughs> rows before you even see a female. <laughs> um, we still have this image of a rabbi online with, you know, payas and beards and dude it's white yeah so i'm curious also as you know you're saying you talk about these experiences that you didn't have but i think also in your experiences that you've had doing these very innovative things what what have you learned through your work with um social media and that online presence what has that done to shape you as a Jew and a rabbi? It's reminded me that people still need rabbis and that people are still excited to be Jews and people are still excited um, to learn about Judaism and we have a lot to offer. I believe that if I didn't use social media, I might be one of these people like nobody cares about Judaism. Um, and, you know, what do we do? But I encounter people all the time who are you know excited to be Jews, they just don't really like what's being offered to them. And that doesn't mean I have a solution, but I'm just saying like, you know, that um, people right now more, I don't know the numbers, but I feel like the largest growing demographic of Jews are the unaffiliated. And a lot of those people are happy and excited to be Jews. They love their Judaism, but they don't, they don't want to go to a shul. They don't want to go to a JCC. They want to express their Judaism in other ways. And what that is, that's the challenge, maybe finding out what they want to do. I'm going to feel really silly if you tell me you've been singing and playing guitar since you were five years old. <laughs> I get the sense it's, 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 it's something that's, that's come about yeah, relatively yeah. recently. So I guess I'm wondering, did your exploration of music just come out out of a passion and love for music? Or was it just a sense of how much people experience their Judaism mm -hmm. musically and you felt you needed that component or was it a little bit of both? It's kind of a funny story. Um, I took some guitar lessons when I was a kid. All right. Um, so. I did take some, <laughs> but it, nothing, you know, like major, like I could, you know, move up and down the neck. You know, I don't, I don't read music and, you know, I could play chord structures from songs. I couldn't figure out the strumming and the singing at the same time. Um, and I was, terrified to do any either one of those things in front of people. So I would sit in my apartment or my house or wherever I was living and, you know, with me and my dog trying to learn some song. And that was it, nothing. And um, so the funny thing is um, I, I really struggled with Hebrew. And um, Tirta Ram, who was a, was a teacher here, um, told me that I had, we, we, one of our projects was we had to teach a class, 10 minutes. We had to teach a class for 10 minutes. And I was okay with like reading text, but like verbalizing Hebrew was really hard for me. And 
I would go into these like what I would call like panic attacks whenever I had to like try to talk because I couldn't figure it you out. You had to teach a class in Hebrew? Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, thank you. And um, when she gave us this assignment and everybody left the room, she made a beeline for me. She's like, I know, I know you're worried, um, but you can do anything in those 10 minutes. Just don't read. And so I go home and I write this script for my class and um, I couldn't like embody it. Like I couldn't get the Hebrew in me enough, you know, because I kept doing this mental translation every time, like going from English to Hebrew and it was taking so long and then I couldn't, it just, and if, if I could read it, I would be okay. And so out of desperation, I was like, I'll just sing song it. So I, I grabbed my guitar and I was just going to like play some, play some chords and I was going to use the music to help me to remember the words. But when I did that, that didn't work either. Oh my god! <laughs> so it was like late at night and I was like, I just sort of took the script and I actually just changed it into a song. And I was like, I really, I really thought I was going to fail because I was like, I'll write the song, I'll bring it to class, people can read the song as we're singing it on like the board and I could have the song in front of me. So in my mind, it was sort of like reading, but not. <laughs> and I was like, I had nothing to, I was like, I'm going to fail this class. I'm going to, but I'm going to do what I was assigned to do. And um, if I fail, I've gave it my best shot. And so I did two things that day. I created like a, 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 a script using puppets and I wrote this song to teach the class. And when it was over, and, and people were singing the song, uh, and I didn't really write it down, so I don't remember what it was today. But I, and also the grammar sort of went out the window too because I was trying to get the Hebrew to rhyme. And when the class was over, I just thought, you know, Tears was going to fail me. And she came over to me, and she's like, "That was awesome." <laughs> <laughs> and Tears was like this typical Israeli woman, you know. Um, um, who I love dearly, but it was not like the most affectionate person and, you know, outwardly. And she was like, she's like, every year students do the same thing over and over and over again, but you. And so I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to pass. <laughs> That's, all I, That's all I thought about. Seriously, like I'm going to make it through this program. And Amber Powers, who at the time, Rabbi Amber Powers was the, uh, I think her role at the time was the dean of admissions, but she was also a rabbi in the building that I talked to a lot. She stopped me one day and she's like, you play guitar? <laughs> and I was like, what's well, sort of a secret? Nobody knows. I don't like a closet guitar player. She's like, you should um, do something with that because that's actually good and you could get a job with that. And so it made me think about it in a different way. I didn't come to RRC expecting to be another rabbi with a guitar. Um, and so I started posting songs and stuff online because I didn't have the, the the background of Hebrew songs, and so I wanted to learn those songs on my guitar. And so po as I learned them, posting them online was like um, another way to sort of get over my fear of playing in front of people. And also because I didn't have the, the background of like Jewish songs, but I did have the prayer knowledge. I just started writing my own stuff <laughs> and writing my own prayers. And um, and so, yeah, that's how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like also like these you're doing these brilliant things. Mm -hmm. And when you're telling these stories, it almost sounds like it came out of a place of fear mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. 
I, I started playing around on social media because I was afraid I wasn't going to get a yeah, job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I was and having to explain my background over and over again. And um, I started playing guitar because I was afraid I was going to fail my Hebrew class. <laughs> and <laughs> but like, look at these amazing things. Mm-hmm. Like, even though you had this fear, you not only didn't let it stop you, but it somehow yeah. sparked something in you to just do something incredible and think outside of the box. And is that inherited? Is that, you know, <laughs> have you always been that way or? I, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting because I was talking to a, a, another rabbi friend of mine uh, a few months ago about this and, and, and we were sort of discussing at a time that maybe my military background had something to do with it. Like, you know, how do you approach a problem, solving a problem? Um, but yeah, for me, for me, yeah, it, it, when it, a lot of these things did happen out of fear, um, I was sort of fed up with it constantly explaining how, you know, how I'm a rabbi, you know, or how I'm Jewish. And so now, like, when I, you know, when I, when, when I send out information about myself, um, I put a link to my website um, so that people will see right away that I'm different um, and that we can move to the next step of the conversation. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but yeah, and I think because, you know, like, I, I sometimes I think because I didn't come in here with, like, this model of how a rabbi is supposed to be. I mean, I've, before I came here, I really had two rabbis, and they are, like, Rabbi Liz Bolton, who, who's a rabbi mm-hmm. in Canada, she used, used to be in Baltimore, and Rabbi Joshua Lesser. Those were my two models. Those two models are awesome. <laughs> I mean, one's a trained opera singer, and you know, Josh is just amazing, and 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 how he sees community, and that those are my those are my examples. I'm wondering, uh, does 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 being being relatively open about vulnerabilities, fear, the obstacles you've overcome, does that does that does that help you as a as a rabbi in some way? Because I mean, encountering the Jewish tradition can be scary. Mm-hmm. Encountering Hebrew can be scary. Talking about, you know, talking about God or life's mm-hmm. big questions. I mean, all of these things can, you know, can be can be difficult for people. Mm-hmm. It's you know threshold to. I, I'm wondering if if you know that that aspect of you can you know if you found it helps you connect with others. I think so. Um, I... And I also think, as I've talked to some some people um, that I went, I've gone to school with, if you are a cisgendered white male um, and you are a rabbi, you can pretty much protect a lot of your identity. You can get away with not sharing a lot of personal information, um, and people tend to as- assume that they don't need to know those things about you. Hmm. Um, I have a colleague of mine, I'm not going to say his name, but he was saying how when he was interviewing for a job, did not like need to disclose it that he was single or anything about himself. And after a conversation with me, he didn't realize like how much privilege he had. And I said, I don't have the luxury of not sharing about myself because people assume a level of knowledge or assume, assume a level of entitlement to learning about me. And so... What I've decided to do was to to share, to sort of craft that narrative, to have control over that narrative. Uh, 
so to answer your question, yes, I think it does help when people learn about me. And I think it gives them gives them um, an opportunity to get to know me. But it's also because um, people have asked me some of the most crazy, inappropriate questions um, that I just don't think my male colleagues ever get asked. Or white colleagues, actually. Just Yeah. Just from talking to you today and talking with you in the past, I mean, it's clear sometimes that being asked what's your story immediately mm -hmm. upon introduction is problematic at the least. Um, I mean, obviously, I walk into a room full of Jews. Nobody, mm -hmm. nobody asks mm -hmm. what's your Jewish story, though they should because maybe they should because right. we all have, you know, we all have our own paths in life. But I guess I'm just you know, as, as something that maybe is instructive for us, for our mm -hmm. listeners, when, what kinds of situations would make that, you know, sharing more, mm -hmm. more comfortable. So one thing that's interesting is if people just ask me what's my story, that would actually be okay. Like that, mm -hmm. that's actually, a, I think, a fair question because it gives me the opportunity to like respond how I want to. The challenge is like, as far as I'm concerned, like all Jewish stories are important. All Jewish stories are amazing. And when we focus on the stories of people who look different than people in our community, we're missing like some amazing stories out there. Um, when people, when, when I walk into a Jewish space or when I'm um, in a Jewish community often for the first time, and this happens less and less and less, keep that in mind, because people, as I move through the world, people know more about me. It's not just like, tell me your story. It's like, when did you convert? Upon meeting me, like shaking my hand, when did you convert? Like that is literally before my name, before anything else. Um, and, uh, or, you know, how are you Jewish? Before, uh, you know, so like people get so tripped over themselves that they forget like common like manners. <laughs> like, hi, my name is Sandra. What's your name? Tell me your story. Like, like, so like, it would actually be refreshing if someone said to me, which I had one person say it that way. Uh, but when I did tell them my story, they weren't happy. What they really wanted to know is how am I black and <laughs> Jewish? Um, but but people need to understand that when they ask, like being curious is fine, but when the curiosity sort of gets in the way of someone's movement. So like if you're so curious that I can't even sit down in the pew or if you're so curious that I can't even pray, um, that's, a, that's problematic. Like if you mm -hmm. if your curiosity is and I'll I'll show the share this as an example, you know I had someone interrupt me during the Amidah, which is like the prayer you shouldn't interrupt people with, to ask me how I was Jewish. And in my in my mind, this person could not get over themselves how I was standing next to them, in my prayer shawl, um, oh my god, in my kippah, and just had the had to ask. I don't remember how he phrased it, but. I, he might have even said, "Are you Jewish?" Like, <laughs> and I was like, "Now, I, I mean, I don't, even, I don't even know what I said to him." This was a conservative synagogue somewhere in the world. Um, but that is sort of like, you know, it's keeping me from doing what we're, what I'm supposed to be doing, or people's curiosity um, keeps me from movement. So before I came to RRC, I worked for the Anti Defamation League, and uh, I won't go into all the details. But when I was done with my presentation, two men, tall men, um, kept insisting that they wanted to know how I was Jewish. Now I was there for to, to teach all these donors, but these two men sort of blocked me into into a corner because they were so curious about me that I couldn't actually have access to the other donors. 
to talk to them. Why that's why I was brought down. Um, and when I didn't answer the questions they wanted to, they just kept insisting. So here I am, a small, smaller than them. Both these men were over six feet tall, and I don't think they realize how like, in, in some ways, sort of by word like terrifying, like how much power their male presence had because they could not get over themselves with their curiosity of how I was Jewish. Um, and I don't, that's, you know, I, I, I'm not white, so I don't really understand what goes on for white Jews when they do that. Um, but I know that I experienced it. And I know my experiences are not unique as a person, of, as a Jew of color. But curiosity is fine. It's just, you know, be respectful. Let the woman pray, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could tell you stories for days. But, <laughs> but I think it was really... Mm-hmm. You know, hopeful what you what you said about about the uh, the importance of all Jewish stories, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I think we could extrapolate the importance of all human stories. Yes, yeah. It's such a pleasure to get mm-hmm. a chance to to talk to you to see you become a rabbi. I have learned <laughs> so much from you, and I just want to be you when I grow up. Oh my and god! Thank you. Um, and I hope that everybody gets a chance to check you out on all of your so- yeah. social media profiles. So on Facebook, on Snapchat, mm-hmm. on YouTube, check out our website, learn some Torah. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. It was like awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. There are plenty of places to, to check out all of the amazing uh, Torah insights and, and, and personal comings and goings of Rabbi, Rabbi Sandra. On Snapchat, Twitter, and Instagram, her handle is Sandra J. Lawson. Facebook, you can find her at Rabbi Sandra. And her website, which is sort of a clearinghouse for everything she's doing, SandraJLawson.com. There are some great uh, articles, profiles uh, written about uh, Rabbi Sandra there. There's also uh, a pretty cool podcast interview she did with Judaism Unbound about a year and a half ago. So check out sandrajlawson.com and you can check us out on facebook we're on facebook.com slash trending jewish and you can check us out on our website and we have other links and different resources at trendingjewish.fireside.fm and you can subscribe to our podcast on google play and on itunes and stitcher and castro and wherever you can download podcasts if you like what you're listening to and you like the work that reconstructing judaism does you can definitely show your support support our work by going to reconstructingjudaism.org support yalla bye Strike that um. (laughs) (laughs) Or leave it in. I don't care.